podcast this week, we finally reveal that not only are there fantastic beasts, but we know where to find them, as we discuss J.K. Rowling's return to her wizarding world, and we discuss the movie news and nonsense on the only movie podcast that is a thunderbird in the streets and a niffler in the sheets, if you know what I mean. And I don't know what I mean, so if you could explain it, that would be that would be super. So upsetting. Hello, Pod. I'm Helen O'Hara, and welcome to the Empire Podcast. As you may have guessed, our generalissimo, Chris Hewitt, is away this week. Apparently, he's developing new practical jokes with Joe Biden, who teaches a class in that now. I don't know. But fear not, I am joined by two colleagues of such lethal cunning. Uh, first up is a man who hides the soul of a killer behind the mild-mannered facade of an online film writer. It's John Nugent. <laughs> Hello. I was hoping maybe if Chris was away, I'd be shed of this reputation as a. I'm sorry. I tried as a rage th- film machine. I tried to think of something else, but you know that was that was. How about my- how about the official Empire Rock correspondent? Are you? Yes, I think I'm. I'm now his bud. I don't know if anyone's noticed this. I've- Just because because you and him are like hanging out on Twitter. We well yeah he retweets me. Re- I retweet him. You know we have a sort of thing going on. He I, bought you a drink. He bought me a bottle of tequila. I went to Hawaii and he gave me some tequila. He called me his good friend once. It's not quite bud, though, is it? I think, I think I think it is, like, good friend. Like, I think that's pretty much... It's not best friend, though. That's what I'm saying. No, but he didn't call you his best friend either. <laughs> Thank you implied. very much. Everyone knows Lin-Manuel Miranda is his best friend. Uh, well, yeah, we share. We <laughs> want a timeshare. <laughs> oh, <God>. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And you've already heard him. Uh, here, here we have a man who hides the tender heart of a 14-year-old girl behind the, behind the <laughs> cold-blooded face and, indeed, mentality of a killer. It's James Dyer. Oh, hi. <laughs> <laughs> you know it's true. Yeah. But we have a question, so let's get into that. Uh, this is from NC Lowe. Hello, Natalie. Uh, what's your go-to film scene or mantra for when things are pants? I don't know what would have inspired this because, you know, everything is Everything's fine. fine. It's just fine. Everything's fine. <laughs> totally fine. Um, but she suggests, I've watched Sam's The Two Towers speech a lot this year. And for reference, of course, that's the one where he, he talks about how they shouldn't be here, how it shouldn't be them facing all this darkness and, ang- and danger. But I think, Mr. Frodo, I do understand that there's some good in this world, Mr. Frodo, and it's worth fighting for. Is there, though? Well, that's well. let's debate that another... It's fine, James. Everything is fine. It's all fine. It's all fine. It's all fine. So, uh, so yeah, that's a good speech, though, isn't it? It's a really good speech. It's yes. a really good moment. Sam, Samwise Gamgee, what a dude. Yes, we it need is. a few Samwise Ganges in the world today, don't yes, we? Yes, preferably in positions of power and authority, actually. Which, <laughs> God knows they're not right now. Um, so, yeah, that, that one is a really good one. The one I find myself using most often is actually Aragorn's line from Return of the King. You know, that the, there may be a day when the courage of men fails, but it is not this day. And I find myself using the second part of that, like, a <laughs> lot. Although sometimes kind of in the wrong context, you know, like, I should go for a run, but it is not this day. <laughs> so that's probably not great. I mean, should we should we get Independence Day out of the way? Just because, you Well, know, yeah, it's one of the... It's just got to be done. I, yeah. I, do you know what? I'm, I'm going to be slightly controversial. <gasps> I don't hold with that speech anymore. What? I used to really like it, but it's cheesy as all hell. And I think that's if his, you're going that's his to charm. have a St Crispin's Day address, I would sub in Mal Reynolds from Serenity any day of the week and twice on Sundays I aim to misbehave that's all I'm saying well that is also a great speech don't get me wrong but I'm, I'm not sure we have to choose between them do we no, I mean, it's not mutually exclusive I, I, the guy with I, the, the, the saluting the guy salute. I had friends who saw Independence Day the original one in the States and in the cinema 
not at a premiere, not at any kind of fancy screening where anyone who made the film was there. People stood up and cheered. That's what Americans that. do. Well, I mean, they don't usually stand up and do it, you know, because they're yeah, sitting yeah. down. But, um, but uh, yeah, it's if I, if I If there were to be a, a speech that I think I... I identify with and quote most it would be uh, you know the sheriff in from Dust Till Dawn you uh-huh. know at the beginning where he just tells you guys well it's been a one long goddamn hot miserable shit ass fucking day every inch of the way mm-hmm. I was like yes yes it has <laughs> you, you, you quote a bit of Aliens though now and again as well I do I do yeah but ironically like I'll, I'll come in and go another glorious day in the court <laughs> hey, Empire's like a day on the farm <laughs> <laughs> it isn't. Uh, no, it's like that. And uh, but but with me, it's it's you know just to fall into my own particular archetype. Uh, West Wing stuff. Just anything mm. ever said in the West Wing. I, I watched uh, the episode Galileo uh, yesterday because I watch it along with the West Wing Weekly podcast, and that's the one that they're doing. And you know, and there's a fantastic speech about you know the promise of exploration and Galileo and stuff in it. And there's something so wonderfully life affirming about that show and the oratory in it is magnificent mm-hmm. and also it gives you a vision of American politics that you know works which is nice oh, God, and, yeah. you know fictional oh, that was a downer <laughs> to end on thank you for that um, I find uh, lots of space movies uh, inspirational in that way so like like the, I mean yes I agree, 100% cosign everything to do with the West Wing but um but, you know, Apollo 13 and things like this, you know, failure is not, is not an option. All of these kind of speeches yeah. about getting in space and, and going and exploring, I think, are, are fantastic and sort of, uh, yeah, comforting to think that there are bigger problems than the ones we are dealing with now, which are horrendous. <laughs> fine. I mean, fine. Everything fine. is fine. It's, it's all, all fine. fine. Just don't turn on the telly. Um, it's fine. Braveheart. Braveheart. They can take our lives, but they'll never take, take our freedom. Our freedom. That's, that is that's true. That's a great yeah, and and I, I mean, you mentioned it in passing, but the St. Christmas Day speech is a model for a reason. Yeah. Yes. Um, I mean, whether you prefer the Branner version or you know the Olivier version, which, by the way, that was his World War Two service was making Henry V, which is amazing to me. I think it's wonderful. Um, but the, the St. Christmas Day speech, and of course also the Buffy spin on the St. Christmas Day speech, <laughs> we few, we happy few, we band of buggered, um, <laughs> also has a certain resonance at the moment. Um, yeah. yeah. I like the one that uh, John Belushi gives in National Lampoon's Animal House. <laughs> I think that, that he says something like... Uh, uh, nothing is over until we decide it is. Was it over when the Germans bombed Pearl Harbor? Hell no. <laughs> no, no, it wasn't. <laughs> and let me explain to you why. <laughs> it is true that you do turn to, in times like this, when one finds oneself not wanting to get out from under the duvet and stop sucking our thumb, uh, I think there is solace to be found in, in great movie escapism. Yeah. Also great screenwriting. There's just some of this stuff you read and you think, I really wish... Everyone spoke like they were in a Joss Whedon screenplay. I wish, I wish that was how people communicated. It would be a better place. Mm-hmm. It would. A hundred percent. I agree. Um, just uh, yeah, I, I actually have been torn the last week or so on. Do I want to go back and rewatch The West Wing, or would the contrast be too too awful right now? And do I need a little bit of time? Um, so I might, I might dip my toes in and watch The American President and see if I can stand that. Or watch House of Cards and hope that the other works and actually think, actually, things aren't this bad, so that's good. I think they're worse than House of Cards. 
I would take House of Cards. <laughs> he occasionally tries to do the right thing. Have you noticed? He also murders people, but then, you know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like individual murder rather than wide scale fascism. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't know. If Kevin fine. Spacey was in charge, I, I would take the widespread fascism. You know, if he had a sort of. <laughs> if he had a southern aside, you know, just like, well. And a sort of. Yeah. On the table every now and again. Yeah. Yeah. Underwood for president. Underwood for I mean right now sure absolutely I'll take him I'm going to throw I'm going to I'm going to throw a slight curveball here uh, at the risk of having us run over and ask my own question just because I think it's temperate at this point and we're going to rule out President Bartlett because he'd win in every other case but if we could appoint a movie president instead of Trump not just anyone just who would you pick who would be one pick each? why who not President Bartlett you're mean because no, I'm just because he wins otherwise the conversation is over because he wins just full stop in every any conversation he wins so we're taking the West Wing away from this you have to pick a non West Wing president well, can I have the one in the American president that's then? cheating I know. <laughs> <laughs> but you know there's a lot uh, of that going around I would vote for President Morgan Freeman oh that was in, mine in Deep Impact in de- well, he's mine. good yeah he's yeah. good his, his calm measured delivery would... and his public address voice yes exactly oh. exactly his speech making would just yeah. soothe the nation but he does still arrange to have a million save a million people out of the entire world's population like he's not you know he's, yes he's... there may be billions of lives of uh, <laughs> on his hands but uh, you know <laughs> It's, it's, it's still, he steadies the ship in troubled times. I suppose. Um, I safe. mean, can I have Lincoln? Ooh, ooh, a good ooh, shout. That, I that mean, is a good shout. It's almost cheating, but sure. Okay. Because uh, I like Lincoln. I also like JFK in 13 Days. Yes, I think it's a great portrayal good. of him. That's very good. Um, and uh, in terms of fictional ones, I mean, yeah, and Morgan Freeman did, did cross my mind, no question about it. Um, but there must be other. Oh, Dave. Dave was pretty Dave good. Dave is a good one. Dave is He's really good. Never technically the president, but no, yes. but technically, you know, nobody knows that. So, <laughs> hey, does Trump have any lookalikes? I, I honestly pray not for the sake of the gene pool, but yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. Well, you've stolen mine, but I'll say, you know, if we're looking at, at a better president than the one we're going to have, I would go with uh, the Dark Lord Sauron. <laughs> I mean, it's hard to argue with that. Goodness. Well, I hope we didn't get political there because everything's fine. Uh, it's just fine. Um, so we should probably move on to some movie news, shouldn't we? Yes, let's do that. Um, what has been happening this week? Well, literally overnight, we had <gasps> the new trailer for Kong Skull Island. Have you seen this? I haven't watched it yet. Tell me about it. Oh, my goodness. Uh, King Kong is back <gasps> and he's big. and he's, This time it's personal? This time it's not really personal oh. because he's not fully sentient. But, oh, okay. um, uh, <laughs> But no, he's he's very much uh, as big and as probably bigger than ever. I mean, if you've seen the teaser poster, he's almost as big as the sun. I was a bit confused by the scale in that poster. I, I, I'm not really sure how big he is. Like, it seems like with monster movies, CGI has meant they're getting exponentially larger mm. with each film. Well, there's a reason with this one, isn't there? What's that? It's because he needs to, at some point, fight Godzilla. And That's Godzilla right. Is enormous. So That's they right. have to have him bigger, or he'd get squashed. That's that's exactly the reason. Yeah, that literally. The that, is, that is that is it's not very uh, yeah story driven. Even also maybe the fact that it's now eighty years later. Maybe maybe that's a reason why he's. Oh wait, he think? died in that one. Carry on. Uh, what in the thirty three version? <laughs> Zombie Kong. Yeah. Yeah, Kongs later. So this is set when in the seventies. Is that right? Is it? I think so. Okay. Well, sure. I, 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 we need you Nick in here because the two people who haven't watched the trailer. Yes, and we've got uh, who else is in the cast? We've got Brie Larson and, and uh, Tom, Tom Hiddleston. Hiddleston. Yeah, it's a pretty good cast. It's good st- Samuel L. Jackson start. is in there. Fantastic. Um, 
Uh, John Goodman is doing his doing John Goodman in Good. being sort of bellowy, um, and uh, John C. Riley pops up as well as a sort of bearded crazy man, which is always fun. Oh, cool! Um, it looks interesting. I think it, it's interesting. The trailer showed that we've got a bit of a comedy tone to it. There's a lightness to it, which we didn't perhaps see in something like Godzilla mm-hmm. um, on, on the recent Godzilla remake. And you know, this is directed by Jordan Vogt Roberts, who did The Kings of Summer, which is a very funny sort of. Uh, well, it's quite funny sort of coming of age um, indie indie dramedy, I suppose. So you've got that sort of indie vibe to it, and the the, the visually, it, it, there's some slightly ropey looking CGI. Some of the monsters uh, was less convinced by, um, but King Kong himself looks good. He looks tough. He looks strong, mm. and uh, and sometimes some- you're getting sort of. And sometimes in a trailer you're getting non-finished CG. Yes, so, yeah, know, you can hope be, that yeah. it, it might be uh, spruced up come the release. Um, and, but I like the colour palette. It looks colourful. It looks sort of, it has a, they're going for a, some sort of Technicolor 50s mm. vibe. I think they're trying to, you know, recreate a little bit of the tone of the, the, the old school monster movies perhaps. Mm. I'm interested to see this one. I, I must admit I found Peter Jackson's Kong to be very sort of wearing because it was approximately three weeks long and that didn't help. <laughs> oh, I enjoyed so, it, but... Yeah, no, it's, it's not a bad, and the T-Rex three-way is, is something to behold. <laughs> Good Lord. No, I should probably phrase that differently. <laughs> but, um, but, you, but by the time you get to New York, you're kind of praying for a monkey to squash you, so... You know, I am, like... Eight, uh, sorry, technically. Uh, oh, yeah, take it. Thank you. Um, uh, the librarian also thanks you. Yes. But I know I, I really like that, even though, actually, I remember going to see that. That was a Sunday morning screening. Sam Toy. Sunday Hello, Sam. morning, afternoon, evening, and early next oh, morning. Oh, no. Come on. Um, that was a Sunday morning screening, and Sam Toy, formerly of this parish, hi, Sam, uh, saved us all seats in the front row of the balcony. He did. And we all sat there, and it was, and it was great. Uh, except the fact that I had a large coffee before the film started, and that was a strategic error, yes. let's say. Um, but even with that, I still really enjoyed it. Apart from the bug scene... Which can drop dead. I hated it. It was horrible. <laughs> so, um, Kong Skull Island trailer, watch it. Yeah, definitely. Yes. Including us. Yeah, <laughs> I will. Um, I have exciting news. Lin Manuel Miranda uh, is making a secret Disney film. Now, we don't know anything more about it, so that's basically all there is to say. But, um, but I do find it kind of interesting. So, we already know that Disney owns our childhoods, right? I mean, you know, Star Wars, Marvel. Pirates of the Caribbean, all of the, their own animated films now going into live action, Pixar, etc., 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 and they're now basically bagging the biggest sort of cultural phenomenon to come out elsewhere as a basic Disney sort of stalwart because he's now done the music for the Cantina in Force Awakens. He obviously did music for Moana. He's obviously in the new Mary Poppins movie. He's making. He's doing new music for the new Little Mermaid live action movie. And he's in addition to that doing this new secret plan to fight inflation. Secret plan to fight inflation. So I don't know. I just find it. I find it really interesting. I mean, it's obviously a smart move on Disney's part because he is a phenomenon. And why would you not? But he is. He kind of seems to be tying his his little rowboat to the Disney ocean liner. Yeah. Yeah, I mean that's that's no bad thing, right? No, I mean, I mean it makes a lot of sense. He's a huge cool. fan of of those original movies. I mean, he totally geeks out uh, by Alan Menken, 
you know, justifiably, yeah. that kind of thing. So it, it, no, no shade to either party. I just find it really interesting that they're that canny at spotting talent and they getting are. it in. I mean, that Disney have everything good in the world, don't they really? But what, what do we know about this project though? I, I did see somewhere that, is it Brian Howard's, the Zootropolis director, Zootopia director, is working with, with Lin-Manuel on this? I mean, yes, good. So that will... And that's, that will work. That's a good. That's a good combination. It's a good I good think. combination of people. Absolutely. I mean, I think uh, n- nobody expected much of Zootropotopolis no, um, before it sure. came out, including myself. I, I have to say, I, I, I saw some early footage and thought eh, that's nice, but I don't really care about talking animals. Mm-hmm. And then saw the film and was blown away. Um, so yeah, it's it's definitely sort of promising. But literally, that's all we got. Secret potential new film uh, that's the fun thing about working with someone and having it go well you, you go okay what else can we do said Miranda um, John Lasseter took me aside and said I have an idea here's Brian you guys should start talking so there you go that's awesome um, and it's good that like I, I get the feeling that Disney animation on a really good streak at the moment yeah. like Moana I haven't seen but it's, you hear many I mean I, I, I am probably embargoed if I had seen it well, I, would yes. probably be, I probably wouldn't be able to say that I think it's brilliant there you go you'd so, definitely be breaking some sort yeah, of agreement probably. by saying that uh, but no they, they've uh, they've had an unbroken run of hits really mm. and I think they're more creatively adventurous perhaps than the, the studio side of things which tends to at the moment is going for the, the live action stuff is, is kind of mostly remakes hey hey moment. hey I know Chris isn't here but I hope you're not going to use that opportunity to slag <laughs> off Marvel because I'm you know obviously that's going to get oh I didn't trouble. mean Marvel no of course oh, okay. no, I, would, I wouldn't I wouldn't dare I'd but s- even the live action I mean Jungle Book was the last one that was great yes. and Cinderella, no, no, Cinderella absolutely. turned out I mean yeah. They're, they're, you know, they're, they're having a pretty good run. They're having a pretty good run. Just in general, yeah. aren't they? But I think the, the animation side is interesting, isn't it? Because, you know, there, there were jokes going around when Disney bought Pixar that what they actually wanted mo- more than Pixar itself was John Lasseter. Yes. And they paid $7 billion for John Lasseter, essentially. Um, and he went and became head of the Imagineers, of, of the direct-to-DVD films, and also, crucially, of Disney Animation, which he kind of made over not just in bringing in a few ideas that worked at Pixar, but he also brought in stuff that Disney, Walt Disney used to do with his animation division. And he brought that kind of back to Disney, kind of brought Disney home to itself almost. Mm. And I think what we're seeing is it began to pay off, I would say, with The Princess and the Frog and those films, but it's really hit its stride now. There's no yeah. question about it. So, um, so yeah, absolutely. It's, um, yeah, they may, they may be a behemoth but they they kind of got there by the right reasons so it's kind of hard to complain about it they're not giving up their shot have I got that right it's not throwing give, away their throwing shots throwing away their sh- yeah there we that's go that's correct yep. ye gods <laughs> <laughs> um, do either of you know anything about Minecraft can you tell me about Steve Carell and Minecraft I, I haven't read the news story so I'm going to say you tell me what the news is and I will try and explain it in Minecraftian terms <laughs> Okay, so it's going to be like green pixels. Um, Okay, so uh, they are planning to make a movie based on Minecraft. I have no idea what form this could possibly take. Well, they'll be square. Okay, Um, and Steve Carell has entered talks to star in it. As a square. I I don't... A cube, sorry. They haven't haven't said that's the case. Uh, Jason Fuchs, who wrote the script for Wonder Woman, is screenwriting, and Rob McElhenney is still aboard to direct. It's, yeah... I, I must admit, I'm no, by no means a Minecraft expert. I did play it once for an afternoon, and I uh, was basically 
in the survival mode and zombies started coming at night and I ran away and got scared and I tried building a column to stand on top of to stay away from the zombies and then I fell off so I tunnelled into a mountain and built myself a cave and walled myself into the cave so the zombies couldn't get me and then I was too scared to come out and that is the sum total of my Minecraft experience. Well, that's not really helpful in terms of <laughs> understanding anything. That could be the story of the film. You hiding in a cave. Admittedly, it would have niche appeal, but <laughs> I built a kiln in the cave and started to make rudimentary pottery. <laughs> well, that, <laughs> gosh, I mean... It included a bowl and, at one point, a wooden spoon. Uh, in a kiln? Well, I'm not sure where. I think I might have cut down a tree before I went into the cave. It's kind of hard to say because they're all, you know. Well, somewhere. this has the makings for a great movie. Yeah, I mean, it could be awesome. Goodness, I mean, uh, talk about compelling. Let's be honest, though, Minecraft is a phenomenon. I mean, there's Minecraft Lego, there's Minecraft everything. Kids have gone nuts for it. Apparently, it teaches them basic programming. I don't know how, but I'm sure it does. Uh, it lets them build things. Uh, and it reminds me of my childhood, if only because the graphics of Minecraft are not dissimilar <laughs> to the games I played when I was a child. Um, but you can build crazy stuff. Like, people built Minas Tirith in uh, And Minecraft, the Enterprise. Right? And the level of, of creativity in it is absolutely off the chain. In fact, we did a thing a while back on, like, the greatest film-related Minecraft thing. I think someone's done the Death Star. I mean, it's, I mean, it's nuts. Wow. And people have a lot of free time. But uh, still, if you're going to do anything, then why wouldn't you build Minas Tirith oh, out enough. of Minecraft blocks? But, I mean, Rob McElhenney, he's basically... He's the guy from... It's always sunny in Philadelphia. He's this is this would be his oh, right. feature debut as a director. Yeah, and so there must be some approach that kind of plays to his strengths. And Steve Carell as well. That, that it feels like we're maybe moving in a slightly comic direction with this, which maybe works with the with the, the game. I mean, if it's better than Pixels, then you know, then great. They've got a low <laughs> bar. Better than Pixels and half as good as Lego Movie. I think we're we're on to all right. It. Yeah. So. Okay. Well, um, I think, you know, any of us is better than Pixels. So, you know, it shouldn't be easy. Um, we should maybe also mention that yeah. uh, uh, Michael Green, who's involved in the American Gods adaptation, is uh, now attached to Why the Last Man. Oh, yes. Yes, uh, this yeah. is exciting. Which is exciting. Why the Last Man is a really, really great comic series. Yes. If you haven't read it, absolutely do. Uh, it's a Vertigo imprint. It is essentially a post-apocalyptic world where everyone with a Y chromosome dies. Yeah, including animals, actually. Including animals, except for one man and his monkey. One man and his uh, monkey. Yorick Brown, the man, and Ampersand, the awesomely named Capuchin Monkey. Yeah. Uh, it's, I mean, it's an incredible story, because you think, oh, that's a clever setup. You think, well, where do they go from there? But, it, I mean, it's fascinating. It's heartbreaking. It's got an amazing ending. I mean, it's a, mm. it's a really phenomenal series. It's, so. it's one of the comics that has made me cry most. Like, oh, it's absolutely. Mm. just... That bit with Thing and when... With oh, that, oh, oh, my and God. Then, with and the snow that, in the woods oh, at the end. Oh, my goodness. Unbelievable. Can't even... Oh. Um, yeah, I mean, this was developed as a film for a long time. DJ Caruso was going to make it with Shia LaBeouf yeah. back immediately after, uh, was it Eagle Eye? Or before Eagle Eye, it was after Dis Disturbia. Yeah, Disturbia, yeah. Um, so it's it's been talked about and talked about and they have failed and failed and failed to get it off the ground. Possibly because, let's be honest, apart from Yorick, there will be zero <laughs> male characters in it, you know, so it's a difficult one maybe to sell to studios. It's like, and, yeah, but what about the guys? Yeah, no, and there's um, lots of women in it who cut their breasts off to become Amazons. Only one breast, yes, just because it gets in the way of the, of bow. the bow. But they don't use bows, so it's symbolic, I think. Yeah, well, but that's true. Still. Um, so, yeah, what, it's good that we're, we're still talking about this and it's still looking like a possibility. Also, an exciting uh, TV adaptation news, Stranger in a Strange Land, the absolute classic Robert Heinlein, Heinlein story is also headed for the big screen, so fingers crossed that that doesn't end up rubbish. Um, and... 
I was quite excited by a piece of cameo news. Ocean's 8 is obviously already yes. filming with a cast who wear fantastic coats. It's kind of like Fantastic Beasts, but for girls. I think we can all say that Dame On... With a, like, like game on, but it's yeah. Damon, yes, because yeah. Matt Damon's going to make a cameo. Oh, Damon, oh, right, it's Damon. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So, so Linus yeah. could Very be the good. connecting tissue between Ocean's Eleven, Twelve, and Thirteen, and Eight, or there might be more. We don't know. Uh, so that's it's it's been a reasonably quiet week, right? There haven't been huge numbers of other stories. The, the other one that leapt out to me is the Inhumans. Oh, so yes. Marvel had announced an Inhumans movie for, I think, 2019, I think, maybe 2020. They then kind of have re- reversed that. They're not going to release an Inhumans movie, uh, which is a bit of a surprise because they had actually started setting it up in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. They'd started having some of the Inhuman, maybe not the main characters, but they, they'd had the Inhumans kind of set up. They'd had the Terrigen Mist. They had all that kind of stuff. Um, and they've now decided to make the Inhumans into a TV series but the wrinkle is the first two episodes they're planning to debut for two weeks on IMAX so this is not quite what we've seen done before this is an interesting new wrinkle in the whole ongoing TV film split yeah and I think I heard somewhere that the entire show is going to be shot in IMAX on IMAX cameras at least uh, which is surprising Hmm. mental because I mean IMAX cameras are very expensive they're very heavy they're They're very noisy they're They're very incredibly noisy they're they're, practically they're just not useful everyone who uses them hates them yeah they're they're, they're a pain in the ass that's not true everyone who uses them for a dialogue scene hates them everybody who uses them for an action scene (laughs) fucking loves them so, I mean, I guess you, that this is a statement of intent on the sort of scale and scope of this sort of show, that it's not going to be lots of, you know, quiet talking in rooms. It's going to be <laughs> big, well, bold action. Well, given that the main inhuman is a guy who kills everyone if he speaks, oh, right. perhaps yeah. this is the way they're doing it. He can speak, but they can't hear him over the sound of the camera, so everyone's okay. <laughs> Thank goodness for IMAX. It yeah. saved us all. So explain to me, uh, I'm, I'm unfamiliar with this, what, what is an inhuman? And what? In, in, the inhumans are, well, they live on the moon, and they <laughs> oh, yeah, have sure. a dog that can teleport, and a woman <laughs> who has prehensile hair, and mm-hmm. a man who kills you by talking to you. And that's pretty much it. Uh, and they, they're like mutants, but they become mutants by inhaling the pterogen mists, which is... Right. And it's like freebasing, I think. It's like a, it's like, <laughs> it's like mist that goes in a room and it does stuff. Well, no, it's, it, it's mist that either kills you or makes you into a superhero. Again, freebasing. Oh, okay. Jake, James, can we... Kids, don't do drugs, so all right? It's like Breaking Bad of the Marvel Universe. Uh, it's, yeah. I mean, it's really not, it's but sure. It's a meth sure. lab in space <laughs> okay. on the moon. Right. Again, I say kids, don't do drugs um, or... Yeah, whatever James is proposing. Uh, but yeah, it's it's a sort of like, so the Terrigen Mist like transforms you. So like Ms. Marvel in the comics is was transformed by the Terrigen Mist. Right, okay, okay. Um, and as an important recall, mist. Quicksilver was depowered during the House, House of, of M, M event yeah. and then gets powers back by going and snorting Terrigen Mists. I don't think you snort, but yeah, I mean, but sure. Yeah, that, yeah. that, that, is, a, that is the case. Um, and... Uh, yeah, and they have a complicated royal family. They have some really ancient prehistory with the Cree, as I remember, uh, and uh, and some of the elders and all that malarkey. But it's an interesting... Basically, it kind of gives Marvel TV and movie an alternative to the X-Men. Right. Um, because they don't have the rights no. to the mutants, obviously, so this is kind of an alternate way to kind of play with some of those issues. And what's not to love about a teleporting bulldog? Indeed, or indi- indeed a guy whose sort of superhero name is... 
Black Bolt. That's the guy who can't speak because his power but is his real name. But is. his real name <laughs> is Blackagon Boltigar. What? You see what they did there? <laughs> what? Blackagon Boltigar. Blackagon Boltigar. <laughs> that sounds like a Douglas Adams character. Yeah. It kind of does. Yeah, but you know they're they're fun. And and the woman with the prehensile hair who has massive Barbarella star but red uh, is called Medusa. Okay. Yeah. Sold. I'm sold. That sounds great. They're actually, to be fair, we're making fun of it, but it's a lot of fun. Uh, yeah. It's a good comic strip. It's, mm. uh, I, and I'm quite excited to and see And some it. of the stuff they've done in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. with the Inhumans has been, well, I mean, it's been up and down, but some of it's been really cool. So yeah. fingers crossed for this. So any more news? Okay, I have a very quick bit of news. The other day we had word that Hayao Miyazaki... Yes. The uh, founder and stalwart of Studio Ghibli, uh, the Japanese anime studio, might be coming out of retirement. For one last job. For one last job. One last time, you might say. He's been dragged out of retirement. It's, it's, it's very much might at this moment. Uh, we've, we've only had word from an interview he did with a, a Japanese TV station. Uh, so you remember back in 2013, he directed The Wind Rises and he announced that would be his last film. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was no obvious successor, so Studio Ghibli has kind of wound down. It's on a sort of hiatus at the moment. There's been a couple of films since The Wind Rises, but there's nothing really in the in the pipeline. Uh, but he's still sort of working. The guy is 75 now. He's He's been making little short films for the Studio Ghibli Museum in Tokyo, uh, and he's not been happy with this CGI short film that he's been making, so he decided to just spin it out into a feature film and it's called Kemushu no Boru which uh, means borrow the caterpillar so it's a feature film about a caterpillar I'm so there I mean it sounds great I I don't know anything more about it but I love it already I'm thrilled and he hasn't been greenlit by anyone I'm not sure he has you know the proper funding in place yet um, but he's starting on storyboards. He's he's working on the animation now. So my question to you is: What kind of monster would not throw money at Hayao Miyazaki? Well, I mean, yeah. It, if if he wants to make a film, he will make a film. Like it, it will happen. He, Spirited Away is still the biggest movie ever released in Japan. Is um, it? Is yes, that a fact? fifteen years on, and wow. nobody has ever topped it. Yeah, and the only ones that have come close are pretty much other Miyazaki films. Yes, so. yes. I did not know that. So uh, we hope that he can he can get this one done because it's going to be it would be lovely to see him back. Amen to that. Yes. Um, all right, I think it's time for a guest now, or even two guests, because this week we've spoken to two of the best British exports around, David Yellowo and Rosamund Pike. They star together in Ama Asante's upcoming film, A United Kingdom, which is the story of African leader Soretsi Kama and his British-born wife, Ruth Williams. And they fought prejudice and empire and basically everything the world could throw at them to get married in the 1940s. So if you're depressed about the utter state of politics right now, uh, this might be a little bit of a sort of a relief for that and a escape from that. And uh, we sent Phil along to talk to the genetically blessed pair in London recently. So enjoy. Rosamund Pike and David Yellow, it's a real pleasure to welcome you both to the Empire podcast. You were just saying before we started uh, that you haven't seen each other for a little while. When was the last time? Um, is it is it as long ago as when we actually shot the film? Yes, I think it is. Oh, my goodness. So you guys are catching up live so on the podcast. <laughs> yes, are. yes, we are. We haven't uh, seen each other since haircut. we were married. You've got a very nice new hairdo. <laughs> Thank you. You look very lovely <laughs> yourself. Um, no, unfortunately, um, Rosamund couldn't be our Toronto premiere because she was um, doing a film in New Mexico. Yes, hostiles. and there was... 
And, uh, no we did, window. We did everything. We did everything we could, and uh, but here we are. So uh, sending a snatch team to pull her out of. I, Santa tried, I tried honestly to, tried, to tried, tried everything. I was prepared to go myself, drive yes. across America, steal her by night. <laughs> um, but alas, a bit like the film, we were kept apart. Um, <laughs> can can two people handle any more heartbreak? <laughs> but here we are. Well, it's it, this is the eve of the London Film Festival, but we'll be airing this just before the film's release, so we'll have happened do you think you will have enjoyed the experience pretty hard to say before it's happened but is it a, a, a premieres I mean you're opening the London Film Festival which for both of you must be a bit of a buzz I imagine in, in London yes it is for me yeah I, I, I think to bring a film like this to a London audience is, is is really exciting I mean it's a story I think that people will will be saying why didn't we know about this before mm. and I think you know, it, it can make you a bit ashamed to be British, but then at the same point, um, you know, the, the couple and what they stand for is is so inspiring. I think people will be very excited to to, to know this part of their history that yeah. they didn't previously know. Just for listeners, do you want to maybe Ruth Williams and Suretsi Karma? Do you want to give us just a just a tiny bit of background about about who they are and it's a it's a difficult question because they obviously had a very momentous life together yeah but well um Suretsi Karma who I play in the film or was heir to the throne of Botswana land which is now called Botswana and he met Ruth Williams as played by Rosamond in the the late 40s just after the second world war and um they fell in love and um I think they didn't fully appreciate what an interracial marriage between the two of them would mean to their individual countries, Great Britain mm. and uh, we'll call it Botswana for the sake of this interview. And then South Africa, which was in the process of um, legalizing apartheid. And uh, But their their love was a force that cut through so much and, and went on to pretty much be a part of forming what Botswana is today. You're right there, Rosman. I mean, it's surprising we haven't really heard more about this story because it is incredible. It changed the kind of structure of the country. I think because the the British government, you know, conducted themselves from a position of cowardice, really, with regard to South Africa. They they were more, at the time, they seemed more intent on preserving that relationship with South Africa and keeping South Africa in the Commonwealth and, and making use of the reserves, minerals, uranium that South Africa could offer than than they were in supporting what is so clearly right, which is that this man should be allowed to rule his country with the wife he chooses. Um, I mean, you know, and because Botswanaland, Botswana as it is now, was a protectorate at that time, Britain had a say in the running of the country, so they were able to banish Suretse from being in his country. So you know, it's astonishing, really, when you... I mean, people can't believe that this is what that couple was subjected to. Um, but but what but what I love about the story is that you start from... As a couple, it just starts as a love story. The politics come crashing in, unwanted and uncourted um, by them. And, you know, for, for Ruth, I mean, she... You watch a, a woman go from you know, someone who, who has the appetite for a bigger life but has been pretty sheltered and is, has no political ambition into someone who has to, is forced to become a stateswoman, really. Um, hot. 
I, I spoke to Amaris Nancy, the director, yesterday, and she said some of the days got up to mid-50s, especially inside the, the, the an aeroplane, which you guys obviously travel into the country on. Oh, in the yeah. film... The heat was, I mean, I never, I never will forget that particular kind of heat that you, you felt it boiled your eyeballs. I mean, I, I wear yeah. contact lenses and I said to David, I think I've just, my contact lenses have just shriveled up. <laughs> and, then, and then biting and then appealing an orange and the orange being hot, oh, the juice being hot. Really? And you think, okay, this is heat of another league. Yeah. Um, but you, you acclimatized to it because then it was interesting because we did a scene with, David's wife came oh, into yes. it yes. and um, and I by that time realised how I was just fine with heat and I watched these two other girls who just sort of come in yeah. suffering acutely I mean it was but well, you do I, I, your body I was does shocked as to how well you handled that I mean you know Rosamund had to do Be the scene of, of giving birth <laughs> <laughs> you know and, and in the, it was in this hospital and like she, she says uh, you know Jess my, my wife and and, and you just couldn't bear it but she had by that time acclimatised the stillness yeah. and sometimes chose to wear because I felt that I wanted Ruth's some of her awkwardness you know so I chose to wear stockings and things which and gloves and a coat when she arrives because <laughs> you know I always found it really charming that Ruth you know Sorette's is in effect a king of his country and, and Ruth's only model for how to be a queen is looking at Princess Margaret or looking at the queen so you know, she's she's quite sweet. You know, she she doesn't really know what to do, but she sees you know the formality of dress that might be appropriate, and comes in a coat and gloves and her little string of pearls. And she, you know, she's a very simple creature, Ruth, in terms of her dress. She does not, you know, she's not someone who comes with buckets of suitcases to the point that actually when a photographer came out to um, photograph them this photographer from Life magazine ended up leaving all her own clothes because she was so shocked at how little Ruth had with her as sort of first yeah, lady you, of this you, country. You, you see quite a few of the photographs. She's pretty much wearing the same dress. She is wearing so the same dress. It looks like everything was ta- <laughs> all the pictures were taken on the same day, but she just was very frugal. Um, you also spend uh, a portion of the second half of the movie holding uh, a small child, Jacqueline, obviously. She's one of the cutest babies I think I've seen on, on screen, but not the smallest of... of well, the Jacqueline, infants, there I were imagine. many Jacquelines. Okay. Um, Jacqueline many was, we were, we were very open in our, you know, and we had, you know, Jacqueline was sometimes a boy, sometimes a girl, <laughs> sometimes a, and, and actually um, a biracial baby is, is not an easy thing to find in Botswana. Right. Um, I mean, you know, now, so, so our, our, our team of ADs, I mean, I remember when we needed the newborn Jacqueline. I think one of our, I think our second or third AD, Wesley, mm. saw a woman about to board a bus with a small, um, light-skinned child, and right. sort of ran down the road after her and said, "You right. know, we're doing this film." <laughs> and, could, help. and people were incredibly supportive. I mean, there was no chance of twins, which is normally the way when you film with babies right. um, that people try to use twins, mm. and we didn't find any twins, did we, to use? So, so that baby was. Uh, crucial and that you know and Rosamund not always... was, was heroic I have to say <laughs> because this baby was not a trained film baby <laughs> yes and seemed to feel like crying very loudly was what was required oh really and uh, Rosamund had to do a lot of uh, genuine off screen mothering to <laughs> to, yeah so you have to, you have to, to find a way down. in that's going to crack um, there, there, were, there, were, there, were, there were three different, four different Jacquelines actually, right. um, at different stages of growth. But, but one was particularly 
particularly difficult. Oh, wonderful on the vocal. first day. Vocal. Vocal. Wow. Yes. <laughs> you know, you had to hand hand Jacqueline over to the guy playing Cicadi, so yeah. it's his uncle. And his line had to be, oh, she is a sweet one. <laughs> and this baby just took one look at him and howled and screamed. And you just have to hold the baby out of camera so just a little foot comes into frame and he just smiles and says, oh, she is a sweet one. Yeah, that was award-winning acting on his part Amazing. at that point. Uh, yeah. Can I ask a couple of quick fire questions about upcoming projects? Because you both got very exciting things ahead. Mm. Um, I'm intrigued by H H H H H. It's hard to sort of stop saying <laughs> the title. Um, we've just seen Anthropoid, which tackles the subject from a very different mm. way. Can you sort of explain to the listeners how H H H H is going to be uh, diff- uh, tackles the the Hydric assassination? You play H H H H starts with the point of view of watching this man Reinhard Heydrich become the master of death that he was in 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 designing and executing the final solution i mean he but it it really follows him and and has a very interesting and unusual structure because you start off with this young naval officer who is shamed in the navy and kicked out for a sexual misdemeanor just while he's meeting the woman who ends up becoming his wife and i play his wife lena who you know, is, is, is a fascinating character because she is someone who believed wholeheartedly, ardently in the Nazi party. She, her parents had been wealthy, had fallen from grace in the Great Depression that Germany had suffered after the First World War. Hitler seemed like the saving grace. She um, met Reinhard Heydrich, sort of felt the the thing in him that was disturbed and, and, and she was incredibly attracted to it. Mm. And she really encouraged him. She introduced him... Um, to Himmler and sort of set his course and it was the, it's a real story of you know you feed the monster and then one day the monster yeah. becomes terrifying and eats you you know She's it's that and she and, and, and you know it, it was as an acting challenge it's incredibly interesting to go and play somebody whose politics are reprehensible and to but to not judge the character to mm. not go from that point of view of course we know that i am not going to agree with lena heydrich's politics but for me to explore why she believed in them why she thought hitler was great and to own that that's mm. incredibly interesting and then to go from that straight into filming a united kingdom <laughs> you know dealing with mm. two issues of, of racism and race issue racial issues in it was sort of like a you know, it was like atonement, really, doing <laughs> doing a United Kingdom after that. Not the movie, the the, the concept. Uh, the concept <laughs> yes. of atonement, yes. Um, it was like atoning. Right, for my, so she's a for my... sort of slightly Lady Macbeth maybe for Nazis. Slightly, maybe slightly, and, and, then, and then we cut back to the assassination at, uh, uh, right. attempt and um, we then follow the lives of the... Um, the training check right. fighters from the okay. from starting in Scotland, but you know Heydrich. You know I think it's an interesting way to do a film because Heydrich, as all these people are, are disturbing and fascinating, charismatic, compelling characters. Yeah, and I think it is good to put you know the in a way the hero of the piece is, is the anti-hero. And you've got Untitled Nash Edgerton Project. Is that yet titled? I know, I know. Or is it going to be called that? It's kind of frustrating that it's still untitled. But no, it remains untitled. But uh, yes, Nash Edgerton directed it. And Joel Edgerton, Charlize Theron, myself, Amanda Seyfried, Tandy Newton. 
Charlotte Copley, you know, okay. really, really nice cast. And that's an action comedy, which is a, a very different speed right. for me. And it's basically me being chased across Mexico by the cartel and my very dodgy bosses, as played by Joel and Charlize. Uh, what's your character called? Uh, he's called Harold Shoyinka. So he's a, a Nigerian immigrant who works for both Joel and, and Charlize and uh, makes the very ill-advised uh, choice to fake his own kidnapping in right. Mexico as revenge against his bosses. Okay. Really bad it idea. Sounds like Amy Dunn. Right. <laughs> well, you know, just mixing it up. Gone Boy. Yes, Gone Boy. <laughs> There's your title. <laughs> Thank you so much. We've spent a year trying to think. Thanks, Rosamund. Gone Boy. So I'll be doing Gone Boy. <laughs> <laughs> Rosamund and David, thank you so much for joining us. Real pleasure. Thank, thank you. you. All right, so United Kingdom will be out next week, I think. I'm right in saying? Yes, yes, sounds right. Uh, so I think we should probably focus now, however, on this week's movie reviews. And first of all, there can be only one series of five films to follow the previous eight. It is, of course, Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them, the first screenplay by J.K. Rowling uh, and the return to her wizarding world. So what did we think of this one? It's very exciting, isn't it, to have magic back? Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yes. this is. It's an interesting one, this, because this is obviously comes from, well, the title at least comes from that comic relief book she did about, what is it, 15, 16 years ago, along with Quidditch Through the Ages, which is presumably the next film. Um, <laughs> and this essentially charts uh, the adventures of Newt Scamander, who we've heard from the Harry Potter books, who has gone to New York with a suitcase full of magical beasts, uh, and they get out. His fantastical beasts... Whoa, whoa. Yes, that's right. His fantastical beasts invade New York City, getting up to all manner of things, being at various points disgusting and adorable. Uh, but there's also stuff going on, like evil dark wizard Grindelwald is is uh, ticking away in the background with nefarious things. There's a uh, the new Salem Mists are a kind of witch hunting. Uh, superstitious group who have kind of got on or cottoned on to the fact that magic is around uh, there's lots of stuff humming, happening in the American equivalent of the Ministry of Magic which is called the what's the what's Macusa. The, Macusa Magical Council of the United States of America I think it's good, yes. Thank you. Makusa. Uh So, yes, there's lots of different threads to this film, lots of different narratives all coming along. Uh, and Eddie Redmayne obviously starts as, stars as Newt Scamander. Um, I, this, is, this is lots of fun. I mean, it's magical. It's full of beasts. I think, you know, if you love Potter, it's just more of the same. I think lots of people were very upset when uh, the Deathly Hallows spelled the end of, of Harry's adventures at Hogwarts. And it's nice to see a way of continuing that without it feeling forced. Yeah. Um, and... It does, as the title might suggest, have fantastic beasts in it. And I think if I had to pick one, it would be the Niffler. The Niffler is adorable. The Niffler is my favourite beast. I like the Thunderbird Frank oh, myself. The Thunderbird Frank yeah. is good. But, I mean, yeah, there's no question. The the effects on the beasts are just gorgeous. The design is glorious. Um, they absolutely feel true to life and they're, they're just wonderful to look at, really. Um, I think some of the best bits in the film are essentially Newt showing his new friend Jacob, who's played by Dan Fogler, around his suitcase yeah. which is full of his kind of zoo it's a, it's a giant magical petting zoo it's a giant magical petting zoo and some of the things in there are just fascinating and there's so much invention and they're beautifully rendered uh, yeah it's it's lots of fun and there's lots of texture which I really like to it as well like the Makusa feels very different to the Ministry of Magic mm-hmm. you know the, the kind of the American wizarding community has a completely different flavour to the kind of fusty British one I mean they're still apparating all over the place and axioing things but it felt <laughs> much more I don't felt much more American do you know what I mean it felt mm. much more institutionalised it's very it was it was very interesting feeling and um, 
Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm fascinated to see where this goes. You know, initially when I heard they were going to do five of these, I kind of rolled my eyes and thought, oh, God, you know, cash in. But there's a part of me, I'm really interested to see where this world goes mm. and where they take it from. I think it does help. It does benefit from that 80 year gap because it does feel yeah. like a different world. It doesn't feel exactly like, oh, it's more of the same. But we're not in a school now. We're not among boy and girl wizards. Mm. We're not in. England even we're not among the sort of familiar institutions that we've seen before or the familiar landscapes we've seen before and I think that really really helps it um, I mean I, I wrote the review I did have some reservations which were mostly around the the fact that I didn't feel like there, there's sort of two different plots going on here yeah. without saying too much and and they really didn't weave together as nimbly or as elegantly as I would like to see I think that's partly because there's so much world building in this film because you've got new characters new setting new beasts it's a lot to explain and I think maybe you know in the same way that the first Harry Potters had a lot to explain I think that maybe kind of sometimes slows the plot down and makes yeah. things less elegant but at the same time you know all the individual ingredients are good I think they just don't all hang together quite as much as you want, maybe. And part of that, I think, is I mean, J.K. Rowling is an, is an incredibly you know, inventive writer. She has a fantastic imagination, but uh, structure, I think, as we discussed, isn't necessarily her forte. And I think in this, you know, screenplays require obviously much more structure than a novel to work in that compressed time frame. And it, the structure doesn't quite click together in a way that it should. Um, and I think my only other worry for it as a film is that younger audiences might struggle a little bit in that it doesn't have a great many sort of child characters to identify with and it feels quite dry a lot of the time it doesn't have that sense of sort of mischievous fun uh it does when the beasts are around but in the other threads there isn't that sense of mischievous fun mm. so i do wonder whether sort of certainly younger viewers who love potter might find their attention wandering a little bit that's, that's probably true but then i think that's probably true of the last couple of potter films as very well true. So. this is quite dark i mean it's mm. not like this has gone back to philosopher's stone and we're all sort of bubbly again it's and it's not quite deathly hallows it falls in between <laughs> but it's order it's, of the phoenix it's <laughs> order of the phoenix levels of darkness i mean it's it's, it's it's quite you know full on and intense in places yeah um yeah it is and it is a very good cast I mean you know Eddie Redmayne obviously an Oscar winner um, but you've also got Catherine Wooderson who I think is going to break out in a big way this coming year because she's obviously also the, the lead in Alien Covenant mm. um, and she's kind of the serious kind of uh, work oriented a job oriented American magician who's slightly discombobulated by Newt's weird Britishness he's kind of the Hugh Grant of the of the film he is quite grunty he is a little bit grunty he bumbles a lot there's a lot of bumbling and then so uh, Catherine Watson plays Porpentina or Tina for short thank god because can you imagine being called that all the time Um, and her sister Queenie is Alison Sudol who I thought was great like I didn't know anything about her I hadn't seen her and stuff before this and she's really bubbly and she brings a lot of that life to it I think which is good she does uh, and then Dan Fogler as well. He's kind of the way in. If you've never seen a Harry Potter film, he's your way in because yeah. he's your muggle or no madge or non-magic user who kind of is the one going around with making bewildered faces until someone explains to him what's <laughs> going on, which is a valuable function, you know, to have. It bothers me that no madge is spelled with a J. <laughs> it just It just does. I mean, I feel like if that's your biggest criticism, they're doing that's okay. It. I'm not yeah. going to star off. No madge with a G. Come on. Absolutely. But then it'd be no mag. And we don't want to encourage people not to have a mag. Which, by the way, the Fantastic Beast copy of Empire is still on sale in all good and evil news agents. That was a fabulous segue. Thank you so much. This is actually a very good point. And what I think is quite fascinating, this is a very interesting film, how it got made, how it came about, how it got put together. And uh, our very own Nick DeSemlin did a very, very good feature in the most recent issue of Empire, which kind of takes you behind the scenes with David Yates and everyone so you can kind of understand how it all came to be. And genuinely, it's well worth reading. Uh, 
this issue of Empire, the Fantastic Beast issue, is only on sale now for a few more days because the new <laughs> issue is out next week. <laughs> so genuinely, if you haven't picked up the Fantastic Beast and where to find the copy of Empire, I suggest you stop listening now or, you know, move because you probably listen to it on your phone. Go to the nearest news agent, pick it up, grab one, just so you can read this. Amen. All right, so that was a three stars for Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them. So that, that is, as we always say, a recommendation. Um, and I think we've sort of explained why it was three and not f- four. But it wasn't, you know, it was it was a, it was a tough call, I'll be honest. Um, next up, we have the second Philip Roth adaptation in as many weeks. It's James Seamus's film, Indignation. Okay, so this is actually another one I wrote the review of, which makes me sound incredibly, like, egocentric. But uh, there you go. I actually had my portrait printed in Lego yesterday, so I think egocentrism has already gone. <laughs> like that shit has sailed. above your fireplace? Uh, yes, it's actually in two gold frames, kind of stacked so no one can miss it. Yeah, with, with arrows, lit up arrows, pointing at it and blinking on and off. Amazing. Yeah, it's going to be pretty cool. Um, Anyway, so uh, Indignation. Um, now, James Seamus is obviously one of the best-known um, writers and producers in Hollywood. This is unbelievably his first directorial effort, and I think it's pretty solid. Um, Philip Roth is famously difficult to adapt, as we find last week, uh, John, in your review yes. with, of Ewan McGregor's American, American Pastoral. Pastoral. Yes. Yeah. Um, but I think this one's a little bit better because I think it's a bit more sort of internal and less sort of sweeping certainly in, time, in terms of its time frame in terms of its kind of uh, attempt to to sort of encompass a huge story in one kind of neat package um, this is the story of a young man a, a, a butcher's son a kosher butcher's son who goes to a college in the Midwest um, where he is as a Jewish man he's in a minority and this is the 1950s so they're sort of very st- strict kind of social expectations of what he's supposed to be. He's supposed to go to chapel, for example, um, a certain number of times per term, or he, he risks failing college, even though he is not, you know, Episcopalian or whatever the chapel is. Um, and uh, he's so he's kind of in a little bit of a kind of a cultural uh, eddy already. Oh, that rhymed. Uh, and uh, and then he gets involved with a girl as well. And of course, that further complicates things. I mean, in terms of actual plot, very little happens here. It's a, it's a, I mean, you might describe it as a coming of age story. I guess it probably is. Um, so Logan Lerman as Marcus, you know, he's just, he, he's kind of trying to find his way, way in the world, but you don't necessarily feel like he's got it all figured out by the end either. So in that sense, it isn't really necessarily a coming of age story. But he's just a really fascinating character. I really enjoyed him. He's he's quite self-righteous at times, but he's so convinced of his self-righteousness that it almost becomes kind of amusing in the way that a puppy dog who's convinced he can fight a much bigger animal is amusing. You know, it's sort of, it's sort of cute. And there's a brilliant sort of set piece scene where he kind of faces off against the head of the college um, uh, Dean Caldwell, who's played by Tracy Letts, and it's it's wonderful because they're both totally convinced they're in the right, and they both look ridiculous. So some of that kind of very wry comedy that Philip Roth does well kind of comes through in scenes like that and works really well. Um, Sarah Gadden's character, the, um, his sort of on and off girlfriend Olivia, is slightly less well served by the script, but that's because it's about a teenage boy being in love with some girl. So teenage girls in that situation do not come out well but it is it is really kind of funny and clever and sort of contained enough I think it works better than American Pastoral did so uh, I give this four stars cool Um, so yeah that was me Uh, and finally the animated film that's been wowing critics in the last few weeks it's Your Name Mm. what can you tell us about this having just discussed Japanese animation which we did yes one of the lesser Bond themes I'm saying (laughs) that's you know my name I see sorry Yes. 
Uh, I mean, this does feel like a title which is a sort of a, a, a joke on film journalists. Helen, <laughs> Helen asked me this morning, John, can you, uh, can you prep your name? And I stared at Helen blankly for about five <laughs> seconds, not really realising what she meant. But yes, this is the confusingly titled Your Name uh, from the director Makoto Shinkai. Uh, I think this is like his fourth or fifth film now. He's, he's a former graphic designer, but he's been working in anime for a little while. Uh, and yes, inevitably, he's being compared to Hayao Miyazaki. Uh, and I think those comparisons are probably valid. Um, this is very much a, a film in the Studio Ghibli vein. So it, the, the essential story is it's two teenagers, one named a girl named Mitsua and a, a boy named Taki, um, who don't know each other. Mitsua is a sort of small town country girl mm-hmm. who dreams of um, meeting a handsome Tokyo boy. And uh, Taki is a handsome Tokyo boy. Ah, well, this seems... Handily. <laughs> this seems ideal. <laughs> yes. Uh, and then inexplicably, um, they both wake up in each other's bodies. Ooh. So it's a sort of it's a sort of Freaky Friday. It's a body swap film, but uh, don't go in expecting Freaky Friday. It is very much not that. Uh, what it actually is is a, a sort of beautiful, thoughtful, uh, gorgeously animated film which explores all sorts of different themes and ideas um, to the soundtrack of some blaring J-pop. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm, of course. I mean, you know. Pff, J-pop is perhaps an acquired taste, uh, but but it, it, what's amazing about this film perhaps is how you you don't really worry about that sort of thing because, like anything from Studio Ghibli, the attention to detail is astonishing. the The quality of animation is is I mean world class, mm. and the the narrative attention to detail is you know pretty much on the same level. Uh, there are some fascinating ideas explored here, uh, and and it and it's a very sort of at its heart a very straightforward and simple love story. It's essentially a romance or, or a relationship at least. Um, so it's 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 re- really beautiful and quite unlike anything else that's been released uh, this year. Uh, in our review, Dan Jolin uh, said, if you only see one Japanese animated feature this year, see it, w- see this one and see it more than once, which Ooh. is uh, a big claim. And he also said, if any film has this has the right to be called this decade spirited away, it's this one. So these are two big statements, which I don't think he would say without... No, that, and for Dan, spirited away is like up there with Scissors and Cane. Well, so right. very high price. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, listen to Dan Jolin and go see this film. We gave it five stars. That's five Empire stars. Four, oh, five yeah. stars. All right. Well, that is, I mean, so that is probably the film of the week. But let's be honest, most of you are going to go see yeah. Fantastic Beasts uh, first. First, you know, maybe you go see both, right? Exactly. That's the see, idea. See lots of films this weekend. Amen to that. Um, but yeah, that's a good week for films. And that is it for this week's Empire podcast. Uh, join us next week for more film related fun when we'll be joined by Chris Hewitt. Um, also, Miles Teller, who's here to discuss his new boxing movie, Bleed for This. And Robert Zemeckis will be here talking about Allied and a few other older favourites that you might just enjoy. Um, until then, it's goodbye from John. Goodbye. It's goodbye from James. Bye. And it's goodbye from me. I'm off to give myself an inspirational speech. We aim to misbehave.